Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you uh, for who you are and what you are to us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your unconditional love, and we thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be here to learn more about you, to worship you, to bring you glory. Uh, We do pray, Lord, that uh, we will grow and become more like Christ through the studying of your word and as we surrender to your Holy Spirit. And I also pray for the gift of teaching, that you'll help me to decrease and you increase and you be glorified, you be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So. We are going through the book of Genesis on Wednesday night. And so we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 25, Genesis chapter 25. And the title of the study is where is your focus? Where is your focus? Uh, Sometimes as believers, just or even as people in general, we can use or lose our focus on what it's most important in our lives. We can easily do that. There's just so much uh, going on around us, um, trials, troubles, whatever you want to call it. We can lose our focus. Uh, the shiny new thing will cause us to lose our focus. Things that make us feel good could cause us to lose our focus on the most important thing in life, in our lives. But as we read and study the text in Genesis 25, We want to pray that the Lord will help us to be focused. And if you're already focused, to stay focused on what matters most in the sight of God. And so that brings us to verse 1 in Genesis chapter 25. It says that Abraham again took a wife and her name was Keturah. In 1 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 32, the Bible says that Keturah was Abraham's concubine. Now, concubine is a secondary wife who did not have uh, the same status as the primary wife. And here, behind the word wife in verse 1, is the word ishah. The word ishah. So that's a Hebrew word. And it could also mean woman. And, and so as we keep that in mind that the word ishah Behind the word wife here in verse one means woman. And then we take into account first Chronicles chapter 132, where it says that she's Abraham's concubine. um, As we put that together, we can come to the conclusion that that this could mean that he just took another woman that is Keturah and he made her a concubine. And so that's why we want to read throughout the whole Bible to fit all the pieces together. And so we move on to verses two through four in Genesis 25. And it says, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And the interesting, interesting thing about Shua is that he's an ancestor uh, of the tribe of Joab's or not Joab's, but of Job's friend, Bildad. And so if you remember reading in Job, In chapter 2, verse 11, Job has a friend named Bildad, 
And uh, pretty much you can see that he was of the tribe of Shua. And then in verse 3 in Genesis 25, it says that Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letushim, and Leomim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Aldea. All these were the children of Keturah. And one name I wanted to point out is Midian. And that's because Midian is the ancestor of the Midianites. And you'll see that there is some history there um, you know, as we keep reading between uh, the Israelites and the Midianites. Because first of all, we'll see that there's some Midianite traders who are going to sell Joseph into Egypt to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, and he was also captain of the guard. And then as you keep reading in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 3, for example, you see that Moses will go on and he will marry a Midianite because his father-in-law, Jethro, is a priest in Midian. And you also see, um, as you continue to read the Bible uh, and look at the history between the Israelites and Midianites, you're going to see that the Midianites will become um, the Israelites' rivals. Um, And you're even going to see that in the book of Judges. And so I wanted to point out Midian. And so in verses 5 and 6, Genesis 25, it says, And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east and so the concubines that we know of we don't know how many there were but we do know of hagar and now keturah and so the bible tells us that uh, the sons um, were given a gift um, from abraham and they they and they were sent to the east and these were the sons of the concubines and these sons by the way they will become a part of the arab community that exists today And there's one Bible scholar who says that through millennia of migrations and intermarriages, it seems likely that all of these peoples together with the descendants of Ishmael, Lot and Esau, along with earlier descendants of Shem and in some cases Ham, they have gradually merged and become the modern day Arabic peoples. And so we kind of see the start of, of the of the Arabs here. Um, but but notice the what, what what Abraham does in sending the other sons away to the east. He sent them, by the way, away from Isaac. He did that on purpose. Isaac, as we know, is the true heir and he is the son of promise. And by Abraham doing that, sending them away far east, away from the son of promise, uh, it shows some wisdom on Abraham's part. And I say it was wisdom because he was preventing any potential confusion and trouble. Uh, He was preventing um, any strife. uh, For examples, if, if they were confused about who's supposed to get what, Abraham made it clear that Isaac is an heir. He's going to get all that I have. And and yes, you're going to get a gift. He, so he gave the sons of the concubines gift, but he sent them away from Isaac, 
preventing potential confusion and trouble. But then there's a message for us as believers, a a message about wisdom for us as well. Because what we can take from Abraham here is that we too need to be wise about putting things in place in our families in order to prevent potential issues if something were to happen to us, some type of sickness or death. For example, like drawing up a will. And when we're blessed here because we do have a financial ministry who can help give guidance in regard to things like this. And so we can do well to follow the wisdom of Abraham. But then spiritually speaking, because ultimately that's what we want to know, how to grow spiritually. Because spiritually speaking, and this is what I'm getting at as well, is that there's also some things that we can and should put in place in order to prevent issues that may arise in our flesh. You see, in Romans chapter 13, Verse 14, the Bible says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And I also want you to hear it according to the New Living Translation. Same verse, it says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. See, God made sure that this verse was put in the Bible because obviously people with the sin nature, we can sit there and we can make provision for our flesh, for our sin nature. We can we can sit there and have these idle minds and we can allow ourselves to think about ways that we can indulge the evil desires that is a part of our flesh or sin nature. But instead, the Bible tells us in Romans 13, we we need to put on the Lord Jesus. But at the same time, we need to starve the flesh. In other words, don't put yourself in a position to where uh, the temptation is going to be stronger and harder to resist. All because you put yourself in that situation. For example, many of you may go to a public gym and you know how some people dress in the gym. And so if that's a struggle for you and you have to know yourself, but if that's a struggle for you to where you're going to allow yourself to think about ways that you are going to indulge your your evil desires, or if that's somewhere you're going to make provision for the flesh, then maybe you should go to a smaller gym. But but you have to know what your weaknesses are. For some people, you may have to block certain channels. Or stay away from certain movies or, or, or certain movies with a certain rating. You, you know your heart, but at the same time, our hearts are deceitful or are deceitful. And the Lord is the one who knows it. He's the only one who truly knows everything. But, but many of us, we, we kind of know what we're doing, but then we'll kind of twist things. We'll allow our hearts to deceive us. And then uh, kind of trick ourselves into thinking that, you know, this is this is OK. I'm doing something good. But but no, we need to starve the flesh, we need to feed the soul, feed the soul. What the word of God for some people, you may need to set restrictions on an Internet browser. You have to know yourself, know your heart. But but once again, your heart could deceive you because it is deceitful, according to Jeremiah seventeen nine. 
But then look at here. So the, the Bible also says that just as uh, that, that uh, again, that Abraham gave all of his um, inheritance to Isaac. And so just as he did that, just want to share with you that God, the father also gave all things to his son. That is Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two tells us this. It says that God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, it says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And so remember, I said that Abraham is a he's a picture of God, the father and Isaac is a picture of God, the son, Jesus Christ. So just as Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, once again, as I'm showing you in this verse, God, the father had appointed the son heir of all things. And as I shared before in the previous lesson, as believers, as people who have repented and we put our trust in Jesus for salvation, the Bible tells us that we, too, are joint heirs with Christ. And we also get to share in his inheritance and in an, an eternal inheritance, not just any inheritance. For example, the Bible tells us that we're going to inherit the earth. First of all, we're going to help Jesus rule and reign over the earth for a thousand years. But but then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And so we'll inherit the earth. We'll inherit eternal life. The Bible tells us that we'll inherit the kingdom. We'll inherit salvation. And, and the Bible tells us that we'll inherit all things. But all of this is in Christ. We are joint heirs with him. And so first of all, to become a child of God, we know that we must be born again. You must put your trust in Jesus for salvation. You must be born again, born from above, born of the spirit. Uh, but then the Bible also talks about the adoption. And so when it talks uh, about us and our relationship in terms of adoption, uh, that talks about us uh, being adopted as sons, which would qualify us. Uh, in other words, as adult sons, which would qualify us for the inheritance. And so the Bible speaks of both things, being born again and being adopted. So one, of course, is being now a part of the family. Adoption uh, speaks more about us now being um, at that point where we could be heirs because we've been adopted as sons. We have that status. And, and we're so blessed as believers because we're not just heirs of God, but we're joint heirs with Christ. And as the Bible says here in Hebrews 1, that Christ has been appointed as heir of all things. And notice something that it says about Jesus here for those people who say that Jesus is not God. It says here that through whom also he made the worlds or the universe. And so the capital W word of God, Jesus Christ, he is also creator and the creator, God, the son, uh, the second, um, uh, person in the Trinity. He's the one who's come down, who's taken upon human flesh. Uh, he's the one, of course, we, we celebrate at Christmas. He's that baby who was born in the manger. And so we, we celebrate that fact during this time because we know why he came. He came to die on our behalf. 
And so we do celebrate Christmas. And guess what? It does not matter if it's December 25th because you're always going to get that person. Did you know that he probably wasn't born? Who cares if he was born on December 25th? We can celebrate Jesus every single day. Every every day we can celebrate the fact that he has come and that he was raised up. He lived a perfect life that, that he went around preaching and, and doing good. And he went around healing people and, and teaching the word of God, given the clear meaning of the word of God. And this Jesus, he, he went to the cross and was crucified. So, so any time of the year we can celebrate that. And so that doesn't bother me and we shouldn't, you shouldn't let that bother you. But just again, to, Drive home the point, just the point I was making here is that, yes, we are joint heirs with Christ. In verses 7 through 11, Genesis 25, it says, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived. He lived 175 years. So he was and he died at that point, 175 years, still having children. And in verse eight, it says that Abraham, he breathed his last and he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before or east of Mamre, which is Hebron, in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zohar, the Hittite. This is the field in verse 10, which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. In other words, these are Hethites or Hittites. And there Abraham was buried and Sarah, his wife. In verse 11, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roi, which means the well of the living one who sees me. And this was about 50 miles uh, southwest of a place called Beersheba, if you need some type of reference on a map. And so this man of God lived to be 175 years old and and he died. And, And so that means that it's been 100 years since he left Haran at the Lord's command. If you need a reference for that, that's Genesis 12, 4. So he was 75 years old when he left Haran. So now he's dead at 175 years old. This means that Isaac, whom he had at the age of 100, is now 75 years old when Abraham died. And it would also mean, even though Jacob and Esau haven't necessarily come into the picture yet, but it also means that Jacob and Esau were 15 years old because as we'll find out, um, um, Isaac had Jacob and Esau uh, when he was 60 years old. And and so here, notice this. There's something said about Abraham. It it says that he breathed his last back in Genesis 25, 8. It says that he breathed his last and he died in a good old age. And so, of course, we can agree with that. We see that he had quantity of life, quantity of years, in other words, lots of years that he lived. But then the Bible says that uh, he died an old man and full of years. That phrase full of years, um, it, it just means that 
um, he was contented or he lived a satisfying life. So not only did he have, did he live um, a, a long life. So you had those quantity of years, but he also lived a quality life. He was blessed by God. He was blessed beyond measure. But then notice that it says also in verse eight that he was gathered to his people. Speaking of the people who preceded him in death. You know, some of you are thinking, well, the only people, the person we know of in that cave that he was buried in was Sarah. And so that's why um, I believe and, and other Bible teachers believe that this is talking about more than a physical death. As far as him being gathered to his people. Uh, no. So here you can see that there was some type of understanding of life beyond the grave. And so where did Abraham go? Where did those people go in the Old Testament who died in faith? Uh, they went to a place called uh, paradise. They went to Hades, first of all. So they went to Hades, the realm of the dead. At that time, before Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, there was a torment side. And then there was a side of comfort. That side was called paradise. Abraham got there. It was changed, of course. We know it as Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. And so we get that from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, where, where Jesus talks about um, the, the, the rich man and Lazarus both dying and how the uh, Lazarus, who was poor, when he died, the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom in Hades in the place of comfort. And so that's where the poor man went. That's where the beggar went to the place of comfort. They're both that side was in Hades as well as that side of torments where that rich man was. And there was a great gulf between them so that neither side could cross over. And so Abraham, of course, would go to that paradise side. See, the people in the Old Testament they would go to that paradise side when they died, of course, in faith, trusting God. So they look forward to the Messiah who did not come yet at the time that they died. But we today, we look back to the Messiah and what he accomplished, what he accomplished on the cross. So now today, Hades is not two compartments because the Abraham bosom side or the paradise side has been emptied by Jesus because it says that he led captivity captive and so when people die they, they they go to the place of torments they they go to hades but then in revelation chapter 20 it says that death and hades this place of torment so you can think of hades as the county jail but then the county jail hades is going to be emptied in revelation 20 into the lake of fire or gehenna and that's where people are going to serve the life sentence so to speak and so they're going to, you know, in, in their resurrected bodies, be eternally separated from God in that lake of fire. And so but that's where he went as he was gathered to his people, this paradise side of Haiti. So he is not suffering. But notice also after Abraham's death and in, in verse 11, it says um, that it came to pass that after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son, Isaac. 
And so here we see that God is now turning his attention to the son of promise as he blessed Isaac after Abraham's death. And so this covenant that God had made with Abraham now is going to continue to flow through Isaac. And this just reminds us that that that, yes, people die, but God doesn't die. And so Abraham died. This man of God, he died at the age of 175 years old. But God is still living because God is still blessing. And he's continue continuing to bless his son, Isaac. And even as believers today, we too get to be blessed spiritually with Abraham. We get to experience those blessings. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And so spiritually speaking, yes, we are the seed of Abraham. That's in a spiritual sense. And that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we get to partake in the spiritual blessings of Abraham. So just how uh, Isaac was heir of Abraham, literally, spiritually, we are through faith in Christ. And we too, and we talked about it earlier, we too get to get to be blessed with the blessings that come from God. We're heirs as well in Christ. And then the Bible goes on into a genealogy in verse 12, back in Genesis 25. It says that this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the son of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, uh, Nebajoth, or uh, in, in some versions, depending on what you read or where you read, it could be uh, Nebaioth, and then Kedar, Ab- Adbiel, Mipsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, verse 15, Hadar, or it could be Hadad, Tima, Jatur, Nafish and Kadima. Verse 16, it says that these were the sons of Ishmael and these were their names by their towns and their settlements. Twelve princes or in other words, these could be twelve sheiks, leaders or chieftains, whatever language you prefer, according to their nations or clans. And these were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died. And he was gathered to his people, those people who preceded him in death. And they dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt as you go toward Assyria. And so this would be the area from the northern Sinai to the border of western Mesopotamia. And so, in other words, this is the area of the Arab tribes. And it says that Ishmael died in the presence of all his brethren. And the Hebrew behind that phrase, by the way, is uncertain. And so in some translations or versions, you might see um, that he settled opposite or east of all his relatives. 
or like the New Living Translation, it may say that they lived in open hostility toward all their relatives. And that's because the meaning of the Hebrew is uncertain. So it could mean either one. Uh, But nevertheless, Ishmael died. But we also see that God kept his promise to Ishmael. He kept his promise as well uh, to Abraham because God promised that Ishmael would have 12 tribes or princes who would come from him and that he would also make of Ishmael a great nation, even though he was the son of the flesh. He was the son of a fleshly decision made by Sarah or Sarai at the time and Abraham to to take Hagar, uh, this concubine, and, and go into her and to have a child with her, all because Sarai was still barren at the time. But it is believed that that Ishmael's descendants had settled or at least most of them had settled in the general uh, regions of central and and north central Arabia. But through it all, what we can see that even to Ishmael and of course, Abraham, we know that because he gave his promise to Abraham about these 12 princes coming from Ishmael uh, through it all. We can see that God is a promise keeper. God never breaks his promises. He always keeps his word. And that's always something we can fall back on when things don't seem to be going our way. When things don't be seem to be lining up according to the word of God, we know what the word of God says and we have to put things together. We know that God doesn't change, that God doesn't lie, that he's not man. Therefore, the promise is going to come true one way or another. And so we would do well that as we read the word of God, even if you if you have to use a a different highlighter or different color pen, that you would just highlight or underline things that talk about the character of God. There's different things you can do in your Bible study. You don't have to be a robot to write notes. In there, You you can have different tab colors. I have a blue one here. So maybe you can use the blue tabs or green tabs or whatever tab you want to use in scriptures that talk about salvation. Maybe you want to use a red one when it when it comes to scriptures that talk about sin. Uh, Maybe you want to use a, a different color, a yellow one when it comes to scriptures that talk about the attributes of God. And so I just encourage you to study, to to read the word of God and to enjoy the Bible studies, color code if you have to. But but just getting back to the fact that God is a promise keeper. I could say that with confidence because I see it in the word of God. And I'm sure many of you probably have it underlined or highlighted already. And so it's a good thing to remember and fall back on during those challenging times. In verses 19 through 21, it says, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife. She's the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian or Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now, Padan Aram, by the way, is is northwestern. Uh, Mesopotamia, that's where it was located at the time. And its main city was Haran. So that's for those of you who like to look at the Bible map or you're into uh, geography. And in verse 21, it says, uh, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. 
And the Lord granted his plea and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. And so, first of all, we saw from the last study that Isaac was a man who was in tune with the Lord. Because when his wife arrived with the servant of his father, Abraham, we saw that Isaac was meditating and most likely meditating on the things of the Lord. And that's something that we could do and should be doing today as believers. As we read, as we study the word of God, uh, we can chew on the word of God. Just like, a, I guess, a cow would chew on cud. Just, just get all of the juices out of the word of God. Just look at everything in, in that scripture from left to right, up and down, with, with backwards, whatever way you want to look at it. But you want to meditate on the things of the Lord. Excuse me. So here he pleaded with the Lord or he prayed to the Lord on his wife's behalf. This man of meditation, this man who meditated on the things of the Lord, who's in tune with the Lord. Now you see him praying on behalf of his wife. Why? Because she was barren. And notice that he didn't follow the plan or the example of Sarai, his mom or Abraham. He didn't come up with his own plan. No, he went to the Lord and he pleaded with the Lord on his wife's behalf. And so this brings us to a question for those of us who are married. How often do we pray for our spouse? Or maybe some of us just spend more time complaining about our spouse. But we, we do we spend time praying for our spouse? I would encourage you to do the same thing that Isaac did here. Went to the Lord on her behalf. And notice that the Lord listened to Isaac's prayer. And he granted Isaac's request. And it just reminds us that, that there are some things that God wills to do through prayer. You see, there's some things that God is going to do regardless of prayer, whether you pray or not. God is going to do that. And that's those are things that will fall under God's absolute will. It's going to happen anyway, whether you pray or not. But then there are some things that 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 God wants to um, do through prayer. And so just keeping that in mind, could it be? That, that maybe some things haven't happened in our lives or fallen into place in our lives because maybe God is waiting for us to demonstrate our, our trust in him and to, to show that we are surrendered to him in prayer. Could it be that God is waiting for that time of surrender and trust in him before he acts in a certain situation in our lives? Or it could be us who's holding things up because we just refuse to go to him in prayer. See, but Isaac, he went to the Lord in prayer on behalf of his wife and she conceived. But as the Bible tells us in Genesis 25, 22, it says, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, and this is Rebecca speaking. She says, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. 
one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. See, they didn't have ultrasounds at the time. They didn't have that technology at the time. So so she just went to the Lord. And she wanted to find out what was going on inside of her. This, this shouldn't be this way. She, she just knew something wasn't normal. But I also want you to notice this, that notice that these twins are spoken uh, of as more than just a clump of cells. Notice how they're being spoken of. They're spoken of as, as children and the future leaders of nations. And that totally goes against what many in the culture are putting out there about babies in the wombs of women. See, we should, like Rebecca, go to the Lord with our troubles. Go to the Lord with our questions. Go to him with our problems. And I know we have technology, medical technologies, trained nurses and doctors today. I know we have these things, beautiful hospitals and things like that. But even still, pray that, that everything will work properly. You can still depend on the Lord, surrender to the Lord in your prayers. You can still pray that things will work properly, that the machines will work properly, that the medical technology, whatever you want to call it, will work properly. Pray, continue to pray for accurate information coming from the doctors and nurses to you. So just because we have these things today doesn't mean that we can't be like Rebecca and go to the Lord about it. We want to give him the glory. We want to allow him to to be involved in all of our situations. And the Lord answered her. He let her know that each child, these twins, that each of them, they're going to be ahead of a nation and that they're struggling inside of her and that the older is going to serve the younger. And so we see this foreshadowing that's going to happen between the Israelites and the Edomites. The Israelites are going to come from Jacob. The Edomites are going to come from Esau. But we see that God had already determined that the older is going to serve the younger. And although God chose Jacob over Esau in regard to the covenant, that Abrahamic covenant or that covenant that God gave to Abraham. So we see that God chose uh, Jacob over Esau. And even though that is so. We know that Esau will also be blessed, at least materially. But then there's an interesting scripture in Romans and in Romans chapter nine, for example, uh, verses 10 through 13. If you want to just mark it down or turn there or swipe there, wherever you are. It says, and not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. We just read that in Genesis 25. But look at this part as it is written. Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. And that's a quote from Malachi chapter one, verses two and three. So first of all, as we look at verse 13, in Romans uh, chapter nine, uh, first of all, we need to understand that the word hate is not dealing with emotions here. They're not dealing with emotions. It's, it's, we can't think of hate the way we do when it comes to us as humans. 
What it means here is that Esau was less preferred than Jacob in this choice. In other words, Esau was rejected as God's choice of becoming the heir to the covenant that God had given to Abraham. That's that's what it means for God loved Jacob. I'm sorry, he loved Jacob and he chose Jacob to become the heir of this covenant. And for example, in regard to this word hate, just so you can see how it's used elsewhere in, in, in here in Luke 14, 26, we see Jesus using it. For example, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, now, now God tells us to love everybody, even our enemies. The Bible even tells us in Ephesians, that husbands love your wives. But yet and here, yet and still, we see here that, that, that Jesus says that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and so forth, he cannot be my disciple. So what does he mean? In other words, you need, Jesus needs to be first. He needs to be the preferred choice, number one in our lives. So much so to the point where everything else seems like hate. That's, that's the context. And so along with Malachi chapter one, verses two and three, where it talks about Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. Romans chapter nine, verses 10 through 13, what it's talking about is national election. In other words, the Israelites are the chosen people and Jacob is the one who God chose even before he was born to be the head of the nation of Israel. And so Romans 9 uh, verses 10 through 13, it lead up to pointing out the election of a nation. And this scripture, by the way, in Romans 9, is not even dealing with salvation. It's dealing with service. It's dealing with service of, of, of the position that Jacob would be in, in service, the, the head of the nation of Israel, the nation that God chose simply that. In verses 24 through 26, it says, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau or Harry. I don't know who likes that name, but that's what he was called. Uh, afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob and Jacob means one who grabs by the heel or supplanter and, and grabbing the heel, by the way, was a Hebrew saying for tricking someone. So in other words, it was called a trickster. And Isaac, it says, was 60 years old when she bore them. And so 20 years after marriage, Isaac and Rebecca finally have children. And once again, their birth foreshadows what's going to take place in the history or in the story of their lives. But notice the description of these children. Esau was covered with red hair. Jacob came out holding on to Esau's heel. And, and we can all remember situations involving our children, if you have children in their birth. And for example, my oldest son, when he, when he came out, his head looked like a comb. And I didn't know what to think. And so to, it was to the point where, you know, my wife, you know, you know the mothers, they're going to love those children. She was like, oh, peanut. 
as she said in the hospital. And the nurse was calling him peanut. He had this pointy head and, and I'm sitting there just looking all kind of way, just trying to figure out, okay, this is gonna, this has to take shape. This, this have to, and, and his head is okay, by the way, if you're wondering. It's okay, but, but yeah, I mean, he was called peanut for a while, but, but it, does, it took shape. And so there's some things here that's remembered about Esau. And he's covered in his red hair and Jacob holding on to Esau's heel. And in Jacob's case, his name gives a hint about his character. In verses 27 through 28, it says, so the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob was a mild. Um, he was a mild man dwelling in tents. And so some version says that he was quiet and peaceful. Uh, but the Hebrew word behind mild is Tom. Um, and it means perfect or complete. Uh, the same word that's used in talking about Job being blameless. Uh, in verse 28, it says, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. He ate the meat that he hunted, but, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And so here we see favoritism. And already you can see that there's going to be issues in this family. And you are correct. And so as parents, if you're blessed to be a parent or, or maybe you're a teacher or a grandparent, we need to be careful of favoritism uh, because it's not a following after God, our heavenly father, who, 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 who does not show any favoritism. You see, some of our children, they're going to have talents that the other ones may not have. And some will be more skilled in, in areas than the other children. Or some may have different personalities. But they should all, of course, get our love and support. That is, when we talk about support in the non-sinful areas. In verses 29 through 34, it says, now Jacob cooked. He cooked some stew. And Esau came in from the field and he was weary. He was tired and Esau said to Jacob, please feed me that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red. And that takes us back to that red hair that he had when he was a baby. So it's all, you know, you see all the dots connecting. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright or the rights of the firstborn as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Uh, another way of saying this could be, uh, I will die anyway, so what good is this birthright to me? And in verse 33, it says, then Jacob says, swear to me as of this day. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised, he scorned, or he belittled his birthright. And so this man, he sold his birthright for stew. For this lentil stew. And, and it was, you know, I read in the new manners and customs of the Bible that this was a thick soup of stew or stew, uh, usually made with lentils and vegetables and spiced with various herbs. And these lentils are small pea-like plants that are still widely used for food and soup and bread. And so he sold his birthright for that. And the birthright is so important because it was a special privilege given, of course, to the firstborn. And the son of a birthright would receive a double portion of the inheritance. So that's speaking of the possessions. And he also became the head of the family and also the spiritual leader. 
So that speaks of positions. And so there were blessings of possessions and position when it came to the birthright. That, that, and that, of course, is something they received when the father died. Uh, but then in Jacob and Esau's um, situation here, we, we see that the birthright would also determine who would inherit the covenant that God made with Abraham. And that would include being the forefather to the Messiah. And so there was something extra in this birthright that um, that Jacob would receive instead of Esau. And any portion, by the way, of the firstborn's inheritance could be transferred to another by God, by the father, or he could transfer it himself the, the way Esau did for a portion of red stew. See, Esau, he didn't he didn't see it as something valuable. He looked down on it. He belittled this birthright. But Jacob knew how valuable this birthright was. And we see here that he wanted it. Now, technically, uh, before Esau and Jacob were born, and we already talked about this, God had already decided that the older is going to serve the younger. He already determined that the birthright would go to the younger, and that being Jacob, who was the younger twin. And so really, Jacob did not have to uh, be, be, able to be the heel uh, so, surplanter or whatever it is in, in order to take advantage of the situation. He didn't have to make Esau swear to sell him the birthright because technically it was already his. See, on the other hand, we we know that Esau, you know, he he didn't see it the same way as Jacob. All he cared about was filling his belly. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, even refers to Esau as a profane person. In other words, he is pictured as a person who is godless or irreverent or who is worldly minded. And so um, God, remember, had made this decision already to go with Jacob as the one through whom this covenant would flow. And so the covenant would include a land. It would include a nation or innumerable people. It would also include the Messiah. Now, God decided that before either of these twins have done anything good or bad. But through it all, as we see their behaviors come out, we can see that God was wise in his decisions. Since Jacob was the one who cared more about the birthright. And what came with it than Esau did. Even though we know that Jacob wasn't perfect. You know, Jacob cared more about the spiritual aspects and all that came along with it than Esau, who was just fleshly and just wanted that temporary satisfaction. But but how many people today throw away the important for the less important? How many people today throw away the long lasting for the temporary? How many people throw away the stable for the unstable? You see, the person who practices sin or, or the person who spends the majority of their lives or, or time chasing material things or, or going through this temporary satisfaction, they find themselves in the category of Esau. They just care about temporary things. They just care about filling their bellies or their bank accounts, if you will. They just care about feeling good or pleasing their flesh, if you will. 
they fall in the category of Esau. There's many people who have not put their trust in Jesus because they were rather satisfy themselves or try to satisfy themselves with temporary things. And so if there's an unbeliever who's who's listening or will listen, I would encourage you to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You see material things, money, houses, even relationships, the, the pleasures of sin. And yes, the Bible mentioned that, that the sin could be pleasurable, but it's a passing pleasure. So all of those things will come and go. But a relationship with God, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, salvation, heaven, uh, the treasures in heaven, those things are stable. Those things last forever. Those things satisfy forever. Our, our relationship with God is, is it something that will truly satisfy whatever we are missing in our souls. And, and so that hole that is with inside of every man and woman can only be filled by God, not by some type of stew, if you will, not, not, ty- not by some car, not by some houses, not, not by sex, not by any other thing you try to fill this hole with that is within your soul, within your life, but it can only be satisfied with something eternal. And that is a relationship with none other than the eternal God, Jesus. But the question I have is, where has your focus been lately? Have you, what have you been trying to pursue lately in other words because whatever you've been trying to pursue lately above and beyond deepening your fellowship with christ that shows you what your little g god is that shows you where your focus is that shows you if you've been acting like an esau lately not placing a high importance on spiritual things as a worship team comes to the stage where have you been trying to find satisfaction lately See, believers, as we approach another new year, the prayer is that we would make the spiritual things of God more of a priority, like growing in our knowledge of God, like like growing in our understanding of the word of God and making ourselves more available for God to serve others and to witness spending more time in prayer, being thankful for what we have instead of Keeping our minds on what we don't have. Keeping our minds on how good God is instead of how big our problem is. So as we approach this new year, let's make the spiritual things of God more of a priority. May those spiritual things of God become more of our focus. And maybe if we've been an Esau this past year. Turning our nose down, turning away from those things that last in Christ, those spiritual things. If we've been acting more like a Esau. And we should confess that to the Lord and repent and thank God that he is a God who forgives us of our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If you're an unbeliever, I would encourage you to not go into the new year or even past this day without receiving Jesus as your personal savior and Lord. But for all of us, let's place more of an importance on the spiritual things of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for any blessings you bestowed upon us. But we pray, Lord, that you stir within us a 
a grateful heart that you help us, Lord, to be content in whatever state we're in. Help us, Lord, to place more of an emphasis on heavenly, eternal treasures than on earthly treasures. Not only do we pray that for tonight, but also for this upcoming Christmas season and for the new year. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.